0: Hey everyone, welcome to the third episode of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin, And I'm Bryn Jackson. This
1: week we sat down with Wilson Miner. He's one of our all-time favorite designers. He's worked on a lot of tools we use every single day like RDO, Facebook, Apple.com. He worked on the Django framework for Python. He's a very prolific creator and he's written some amazing articles. He's given some great
0: talks. We caught him at kind of a weird transition period, but we'll let him tell you about that in just a minute. So this is the third episode of the show. Thank you, everyone who has listened so far. Uh, we ended up being featured in the new and noteworthy section on the iTunes store last week. That was amazing. So thank you so much if you've been leaving us reviews on iTunes. Seriously, every single one of those helps so, so much. If you're listening to this and you've enjoyed the show, we would really, really love it if you could leave us a note on iTunes. Of course, if you have feedback for us, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM, Or if you want to email us privately, DesignDetailsFM at gmail.com before we get into this third episode we want to thank our sponsors this episode of design details is brought to you by weebly weebly is the easiest way for designers to build beautiful websites they have powerful drag and drop tools that let you focus on the design you care about while weebly takes care of the rest you can spend less time educating your clients and more time creating you can try weebly for free today at weebly.com thanks again to weebly for sponsoring this episode of design details We are also
1: sponsored once again by Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. Hover gives you easy-to-use, powerful tools to manage your domains. Anyone can do it. It's simple enough to use, you'll be comfortable figuring it out yourself, and the support team is always ready if you need a hand. When you're ready to shop for a domain, you just want a great domain, something catchy, something memorable. Hover gives you exactly what you need to find the perfect domain for your idea. All you have to do is go to hover.com and start searching for a few keywords. Thanks again to Hover. Now let's get down to episode three with Wilson Miner.
0: So yeah, you just dropped a bomb. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what's going on right now.
2: Yeah, um, the company that I've been working uh, with for the last year and a half, uh, I just found out this week that it was shutting down. So that's uh, a surprise and an opportunity to uh, rethink everything. So that's what plenty of things to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's called The Factory. Yeah. Can you just say a little bit about what the structure of the company
2: was? Because I still think it's Cool yeah. cool idea the premise was and um, the the founders were a couple of uh, people who I worked with on RDO they were interested in trying to start a company to develop products but not to have a single product the company just associated with a single product so we had worked on RDO each of us for you know three or four years um, and really like followed through building that product from scratch and getting traction getting growth and then getting it out there and, and kind of growing it up as a mainstream product and that's a really long process and a lot of things that go into that and we were kind of more interested in creating a framework where we could uh, start a few things and have some experiments going and build some things up and try to you know hopefully make some things take off but also build as much reusable infrastructure and like kind of keep the team together you know build up some knowledge over time um, over a series of projects rather than having that just all go into to one product over a you know, three, or, three right. or five year lifespan. So yeah, we did that for a year and a half and uh, now we're done. <laughs> no more, no more. Yeah, One of the last projects you are working on was a game, is that right? Yeah, um, one of the projects that I had kind of uh, personally been developing while I was there was a uh, design for a game. I mean, it was going to be a digital game but sort of based on... The idea of a card game or a tabletop game. So that was had been something that I had gotten more into in the last couple of years and was sort of really interested in partly the process of developing game rules and game design as sort of something parallel but very different to I think how we think about UI design and product design. So yeah, I'm still interested in that. Uh still excited about that. Still hopefully I'll be able to find a way to, you know, keep working at least if not on that particular game, on that you know concept, because that still was really interesting to me,
0: is that something you think you'll be able to work on with other people from the factory, or is this, this is this something that you can take solo at this point?
2: I don't know, literally uh I've only been thinking about this for a couple of days now, so uh, uh, uh there's a lot of possibilities you know I think uh, I'd been working on it with a couple of engineers at the factory, sort tr- of we were still trying to get kind of a prototype engine going where we could iterate really quickly on the rules for the game rather than building something like really polished and fleshed out to kind of take the initial you know, set of rules as a baseline hypothesis and test that as quickly as possible, play through it a bunch of times, but kind of build up something as flexible as we could so that we could actually you know, kind of strip it down and change some pretty fundamental things about the rules and try something different so i'd been doing paper prototypes um of the game for a while and sort of gotten to a point where I felt reasonably confident about the like first set of rules so that we could actually build something in uh code and know that okay these these basic things we're not planning to change you know these are the basic assumptions of the game but within that space maybe there's some some rules or or some things that we might try out a lot of different options for which is something i was excited about because that's still something that I think is really difficult with software design and is value as valuable for software design as it would be for game design. Like that idea of we're not sure how the pieces fit together and what the, you know, we have to like lock in this flow or this plan, you know, for all the um, UX for the app and the idea that maybe we might like build all those pieces together and then find out that something about how the system fits together isn't as good as it could be, or doesn't get us the results that we want and be able to sort of strip that back and reassess all the pieces rather than just saying, okay, what can we do to fix it? Like, how do we patch it? How do we, <laughs> like, gloss over this thing rather than sort of looking at the whole system together? So so you had built out the majority of the mechanics and were kind of... Yeah, I have a, you know, a description of the rules, which I iterated on uh, based on the, the paper playtesting. We sort of had a version that you could play with printed out cards and and little markers and counters and stuff so i have we could do a whole podcast on uh board game prototyping <laughs> pro tips um there's a company in germany where i bought all my uh, little uh, wooden cubes um you said it was of particular like personal interest to you
1: have you been really into games of that sort before like the tabletop games and card games hearthstone
2: yeah. Um, lately, uh, I've been sort of getting more into tabletop games and and card games. There's a group of you know people in the city who you know meet every now and then and play play board games. And I had never like I didn't grow up in a family where we played a lot of board games. But it's like a lot of things. pretty easy to nerd out about um, these days. You I could could come up with five people who have closets full of like every board game known to man. But then recently, a friend of mine, Patrick Ewing, put on a board game design conference in San Francisco called Table Flip, and I had just sort of been newly energized, you know, thinking about tabletop games and thinking about this game design, and so I went to that and it was really cool. It was just 75 people, just 75 attendees, and they had like four speakers who were tabletop game designers who kind of gave a talk and then did some kind of play session or workshop or something with the whole group and just that small group and that environment like was really stimulating and interesting to think about like all these different ideas that people are exploring in this space of designing tabletop
0: games. You come from a really strong like UI design background. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest change when you started thinking about game design and game structure and rules compared to what you've been doing it on the UI side?
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy for us. I mean, I've definitely fallen into this trap myself as UI designers to look at games and think, oh, well, that's mostly stuff that I know how to do, right? Like it's, you know, pieces moving around on the screen and it's flows and interactions. And oh, yeah, like I've, I've got that nailed. But I think you you can tell, like, if you come to that, the problem of game design or trying to come up with uh, work through game mechanics with the same process and mindset that we sort of tend to use to approach ui design at least for me that got really bad results and was really really frustrating and can you give an
0: example of maybe something that didn't translate well across the the two
2: yeah i think at least in my experience we tended to think about ui design as kind of a a set static system like a set sort of flow and where there are kind of dynamic interactions between pieces of that flow, they're sort of constrained and understood, you know. There's these, these screens, you know, and they are connected in this way. I mean, there might be complicated paths that users take through those that we can't quite, we don't always understand or, or visualize, but it's pretty static. And most games aren't like that. I guess you could make a choose your own adventure game that sort of worked on a on a flow diagram like that, but most games that we're used to don't work like that. There tend to be intersecting sets of sort of dynamics and forces like how rules work together. so you're kind of creating a situation and a set of pieces and a set of rules, and then when game when people play the game, they're creating like each time you play the game it creates like a whole unique system a whole unique path like the path through the game is different every time you run it it'd be like if you had to design an app that had like a different set of views and a different set of screens <laughs> every, every, time, you every time you launched it like <laughs> yeah. you can see how the ways that we think about flow diagrams or like static mock-ups of screens are insufficient or just not helpful for trying to model and understand like what's going to happen if i put these set of rules in play so you really have no choice i think looking at a game but to say like okay we have to make some assumptions about what these rules are going to be. And then we have to try them out. Like we have to run it, you know? Um, and then we know that we're going to learn, like at least there are going to be some obvious things that don't work. And then we're going to have to figure out, you know, how we change the rules or how we change the system. And then we're going to have to run it again. And that, like we talk about iterative, iterative process on, on, on the UI design side, Mm -hmm. but I don't think we're like embracing it to that extent. like, Th- w- would be like if we built a fully functioning app and then we ran it and then we like decided what was wrong with it and sort of started over and built it again and i don't think that, like that's not how i <laughs> in my experience yeah, i don't think that's how many do it how that, how anybody doesn't nobody yeah yeah but i think if there were a way to do that more efficiently we would learn a lot from that like you would get a lot out of putting all of the pieces of a system together in a complete you know system that you can actually run through one thing we talked about a couple of weeks
0: ago which is similar to this is just you you keep saying rules systems and structures so it seems mm-hmm. like this fascinating topic for you at least on um, like how do we think about design as a system for games how can we take that to the ui side like if you could offer designers at a big company or startup, how do we think about designing a system in that way where you can reuse components or you can start from scratch but still learn something?
2: Yeah. And I mean, I'm still learning. You know, I'm yeah. I'm still in the in the, the process of sort of exploring this other mode, which shares a lot of elements with what I'm used to, but is sort of short circuiting my brain patterns and the assumptions that I ha- you know tend to have coming coming to a project it's like oh like we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do this and then we're gonna do a beta and then we're gonna see how it goes and then we'll have some minor tweaks and then we'll ship it and if i thought about that as a path for how to design this game i have so little confidence in i've never designed this set of game rules before i have no idea if that's going to work the idea that i would decide up front these are the rules for the game let's just build it let's build all the components that we need to do it let's build you know all the ui let's build all the engineering and the things and then we'll do a beta and then we'll make some tweaks and then we'll ship it like there's no way that would work and i'm not sure looking back the other direction why i think that that would work for ui design just because huh. i have maybe more experience or more like past you know points of reference where i can say oh i think this is going to work so i'm more confident that we can make this decision up front but i think we're already kind of reacting to this a little bit with the flurry of activity around like prototyping and um kind of developing these little mini applications like just to to deal with you know little windows of interaction and things we kind of graduated from making static images to like animated gifs like we we're sort of like we have a little bit, a few seconds of play now like uh, with these tools like Framer and, and Quartz Composer kind of things where we can actually deal with the interactions. But I think there's a long way to go from like those tools and what we're able to do there to kind of the idea of being able to put together a complete system that's not done but shows the whole thing working think about the way architects model buildings buildings are way more complicated and you know uh, sensitive than <laughs> software and it takes sometimes years to build so you want to get it right and make sure you have the specifications but there's a whole series of methods that architects use to model like entire structures or you know entire sets of structures you know campuses or or town you know city planning and that kind of thing and each one is complete but not functional so if you think about like a scale model of a building you're not talking about the plumbing and the wiring and that kind of stuff but you're talking about a f- complete model of the structure you're not just doing a m- elevation of a wall and saying like this is what this wall looks like now let's look at it from the other angle see don't, those don't those fit together and you don't know like even at the design phase i feel like we don't know when we look at static snapshots of like particular screens and say okay imagine these things stitched together and then with these interactions in between them even as a designer i don't feel confident that i've finished the job <laughs> that these assumptions are automatically valid just because i have you know i say so like i want to see them and i want to see them fit together and then i want to look at that and incorporate that data and and reserve the right to change my mind and i come up with a better solution
1: Industrial designers build out like an entire machine in CAD and they can usually animate it to make it work right should we be building some full model of the entire application flow through before we hand it off to someone to produce it
2: (laughs) absolutely and that should be part of the design process not this sort of blurry handoff where we're sort of relying on like it's great when designers and engineers work together but it's not like it doesn't hold the whole thing together. Like there's a lot of personal interplay and dynamic that has to happen there. And you have to have the idea of like an engineering-minded designer and a design-minded engineer. And like you're sort of passing off decision-making to each other in a kind of nebulous way. Very nebulous. And there's a ton of, I've always felt like there's a ton of design decision-making that always happens as part of building something, and the extent that you're not involved, the person who designed it is not involved in building it. Or to the extent that they're not involved in building it, those decisions tend to suffer. Um, and there are decisions and like jobs of the designer that don't like get done by the designer. And it's not saying that you know engineers can't participate in that and make those decisions, but as a designer i want to be there like i want to have that information and i want to say like oh well you know this is the ways that we're going to build this like and the materials and the strengths and weaknesses of the of the platform like all those things i want to factor those in as much as possible and we do the best that we can but if we're especially if you're making something wholly new there's no way to like understand the dynamics of how these pieces are going to fit together until you put the pieces together. So how do we don't have any way right now of putting all the pieces together except for building a functioning app. And that seems like a really long road <laughs> to get that that important piece of data. Like the only way I could see to do it now would be like okay, build an app, you know, be ready to submit it and then don't and then, like, go back and start over and, and build it again. And that's obviously not realistic or practical, Especially when you're so. dealing
0: with, like, user data, right? Like, where you have to have user data to populate certain things.
2: Yeah, but there's always edge cases. Real, like data, power real data in designs. Like, yeah. why is that so hard? Or why is that not just a solved problem? Like, why do I not? Um, there's a really cool start, start there.
0: That product. should be, like, a Photoshop or Sketch plugin. Like, you just hook into your API and you can fill
2: out, like, yeah, like right. there's so did, many dummy data ones. Yeah. Or just a little, oh, that little CMS yeah. that I can plug in a bunch of databases, like design a data model as I go and try out different ways of like plugging data into it or plug it into my real API if I'm in a big Absolutely, company. Absolutely, yeah. The guys, that, one of the designers at Parse, um, the sort of mobile application services framework that Facebook acquired um, a couple of years ago, uh, just put up an example some examples of integrating using parse to sort of dummy up real data for framework prototypes yes um which is really cool and like there's a lot of those like clever hacks and like mashing things together that um will get us a long way but i still think like yeah like that's what i want to see is this this kind of unified Prototyping tool that isn't about like oh well why don't you just build the real thing why don't you just open Xcode and fully architect a a shippable application in order to evaluate your design decisions well they they tend to be kind of two separate t- separate things like I want to kind of I mean I think back to like the bad old days of Flash and in the web and it's like for all the things that I don't miss about like that era. Um, that's a lot of like that was a lot of what we did with with flash was build messy but complete uh prototypes of you know websites or applications or things that would take a lot longer to build with you know the the actual tools.
0: is this something that you see yourself working on for the next few years like i guess you're sort of in maybe limbo for the time being is this something you'd love to like work with on on a big company for or maybe a startup uh or or do you w- I think
2: it's gonna no matter what I'm working on in the next uh year or two, it's probably gonna be something that I keep hammering on at sure. least um you know uh mentally like i said this this game project kind of turned into a like an exercise of that same train of thought in terms of using this different design process and learning about a different design process to sort of incorporate and test out some of those ideas you know the game design industry the actual game industry is huge and messy just like ours but um there are a lot of really interesting patterns and workflows that like the game industry has developed over the last 10 10 or 15 years that really converge on a lot of the same problems that we face and you know their solutions aren't magically perfect (laughs) any more than ours are but they've definitely taken A different approach and optimized for different things particularly like the -the state-of-the-art tools in like 3d game design really are focused around making sure that artists and non-programmers can do as much of the work as possible um so there are a lot of tools like um code paint yeah like uh, well they're 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 sort of uh linear flow, you know, like um, visual programming engines, um, like, you know, the noodles in Quartz Composer, like stitching pieces of functionality together and creating control flow and that kind of thing, which um, is all in a visual interface, which an artist, you know, kind of can kind of learn without learning, spending 10 years, like becoming an expert at a programming language. Basically, it's um, been really
1: helping... Uh, kind of bring down the, the learning curve on that too although there's still a long way to go but they've opened up a lot of much easier uh tools and processes
2: to mm-hmm. use, but cool. the interesting thing is like in the games industry those tools are like right there integrated with like that's functional actual code like that's actually going into the engine like if you look at uh um the unreal um, engine which they license to every you know huge game on the planet there's a whole it's called the blueprint engine it's a whole visual programming engine where you can do like program an entire game um in that visual uh scripting language and it gets complicated it's not like (laughs) it's not trivial (laughs) but it's also not like well just sit down and write the code like don't you know how to write the code um and on the art side if you think about like 3d modeling and that kind of stuff it's a very technical art but it's still art and it's still design and all the tools that like uh a model designer will use like to create the the 3D models and then like there's a shared format that they can pass between like the modeler who's creating this thing and the guy who's creating the textures and the person who's doing the rigging for like the animation. Like there are separate people doing those things, but they're like sharing a format and like passing these files back and forth and working all on the same thing with the same tools. Which are all going into the production application. It's not like, oh well, I made these sketch files and I exported these pings and then I kind of yeah, maybe marked them up and like <laughs> tried to tell you what the measurements were supposed to be and then like, I don't know, you yeah. build it. See, yeah. I've always been
1: well at least since since I started kind of uh running the design processes at Shop Savvy. I've we used to do a lot of like the measuring and like handing things off as totally separate processes. Mm -hmm. Since then, I've done very loose mocks and been like, this data goes here, this data goes here, and then once they have it wired up on a device, then go in and work with them in place with it actually functioning. Yeah. And I think that kind of working side by side definitely helps. I I think we're a long way off as far as tools uh, in being able to build the whole thing out. I I think we're getting closer, but we're still kind of iffy. Like, I use Pixate all the time. Mm -hmm. It's great. I can make mock-ups
2: but i can do i don't know two maybe three screens in a
1: row right like or like
2: focus on a single action there's a very low ceiling in terms of the complexity that you can model um with with these applications especially within time constraints compared mm -hmm. to what the engineers can do right and it's not additive like you do one of those things and then you kind of start from scratch and do another one it's not like you're building layers up of the same system and seeing how they how they interact with each other And I just think, like, it's not, like, the tools will not save us. Like, this isn't a problem that's just awaiting a tool to solve it. It's a little bit of a learning process. Um, But I think in terms of the direction that I personally want to push these tools and want to, like, you know, push in the direction is more integrative, more holistic, and more systematic, like, putting pieces together rather than creating more little fractional facets of the process in separate isolation like it's great that there's this upswing and like there's like six or eight or ten different tools that i could go try right now if i wanted to do sort of interactive prototyping but they're all separate pieces
0: hey just wanted to take a quick break to thank our first sponsor this episode of design details is brought to you by weebly they're the easiest way for designers to build beautiful websites from the ground up Weebly is dedicated to promoting great design. They're constantly pushing the envelope on responsive design. They come out with these amazing responsive themes all the time. Uh, You can see them on their website or on their Dribbble account. They're just beautiful, minimal themes, perfect for designers. Um, You can build off these themes. You can actually uh, customize them, tweak them. You can even create your own from scratch. Thousands of designers are using Weebly because it makes the process of creating websites for clients Insanely easy. You can follow them on Dribbble to stay up to date on all their great stuff in the pipeline. They're at dribble.com slash Weebly. Or if you're ready to make a website today, you can try them for free at Weebly.com. Thanks again to Weebly for sponsoring this episode of Design Details. Have you had the chance to work on like a front end style guide for a web application? Because that, I know it's not the same, um, but it sounds a little bit similar, right? You're trying to abstract out these components for A web application that like any developer can jump into and figure out how to use tool agnostic um have you had a chance to work on one of those or uh yeah have you heard of facebook yeah okay well okay so tell me (laughs) a little bit about like what that was like at facebook do you guys have uh the style guide how does it work how does everyone learn it
2: so one of the projects that i worked on while i was at facebook was with a pretty small group of people kind of out of uh these same kind of frustrations like a lot of the stuff with quartz composer and origami came out of you know like uh frustration at the particular at the ways of working and like people like mike mattis and brandon walken who had a crazy like (laughs) like harebrained idea to do something completely different like to completely upend the the design process and you know, push that through and created a lot of tools to make it easier for, make it less harebrained (laughs) to actually work that way. Um, And some of us kind of were working on that separate but related idea of systems of reusable patterns. And I hesitate to use the word components, but because components are kind of rigid, like components are almost like a crystallization of a particular reflection of a pattern at a point in time. Like this is what a button in this part of the UI looks like on, you know, January 1st, 2015. But that doesn't represent the this the characteristic properties of a button in your system. And like and you think about more complicated patterns like a story in a newsfeed. That's something that's pretty dynamic and changes over time, but it has some stable properties and you want to be able to understand somebody's going to come in and do something new on top of that how do they understand very quickly what the just basic essential properties are uh, of this design so that the barrier to, to adding something to a very big deep complex system like application like facebook across many platforms at some point the barrier to adding something new to that is to start from scratch it's harder to figure out what's available to reuse and like how to build on things and like this piece hasn't been redesigned since 2009 and that button looks terrible and I don't know who wrote this and I'm just going to wipe the slate clean in my little area and I'm going to design something wholly new I'm going to design buttons that look cool I'm going to design basically invent a whole new system a whole new universe in and of itself you can see with something like Facebook but even with much much smaller. Projects and applications that just is incredibly costly, not just to the time invested in the design process, but to the end result and to the people who use the application. Like you're constantly fracturing the, the experience, but the alternative is to sort of let it stagnate and just say, like, well, we're just going to, we're not going to update. So, how do you? That's kind of the challenge is at that scale, how do you come up with a set of systems and standards which are gonna survive which aren't don't have to change like so rapidly over time so that you can all agree on this basic language and the sort of elements of that language and then be able to iterate much more quickly and say yeah i'm gonna go do something completely new that we've never thought of before but i'm gonna start from this language that we've all agreed on like i'm gonna build an extension to a shared language rather than i'm gonna create a whole universe from scratch
0: how many people were involved in that process?
2: Um, it changed over time. There were like two or three of us that were like oh, so really small core team. working okay. on it consistently. But at various times, you know, there were m- members of all, you know, all different teams contributed in, in different ways. And as far as I know, that, that project, sort of the, you know, UI systems uh, project still exists um, and is still hopefully... Uh, providing some benefit to to teams that are working on products at Facebook.
0: How does a company like Facebook onboard a new designer in terms of like teaching them about all these patterns? Do you get, is it just an internal tool or do they have like a, a structured process of walk, walking you through the patterns? Yeah, you?
2: so Facebook actually has really a uh, pretty interesting um, employee onboarding process and especially on the engineering side has a pretty well-developed system sort of like education and onboarding for for there's a whole engineering boot camp and they go through and like end up actually shipping something by the end of it and get paired with a mentor and there's a whole curriculum and it's like it's pretty intense and I went through part of it and you know a lot of it went over my head but yeah like just getting in and being able to like get commit access in day one and like actually be expected to ship something you know in your first week there like that doesn't happen everywhere uh, and that's really motivating and really sets the tone for how you're going to approach problems on week three or uh year three i've been hearing a lot of people focusing on that like
1: getting someone shipping something in like uber does it in the first day i think mm-hmm. github said they also do it in the first day and it takes them less than five minutes to set up a new machine for a user with like everything configured which
2: is really cool yeah so anyway that that has been in existence for a while but um as the design team has grown, had grown over the last few years, I think, um, that process, there wasn't really a, a parallel process for designers. Like designers were encouraged to go through the engineering bootcamp program, but there wasn't the design bootcamp program. Um, and as it got, you know, to a certain size, like that became necessary. And so there were, um, a couple of people, uh, you know, designers at Facebook who sort of took it on to kind of create okay, what does that look like? What does a curriculum look like for bringing new designers in? Um, And got to, like, that was being developed while I was there, um, and uh, got to, as we started developing and sharing these sort of UI guidelines, that became, like, part of the curriculum where we'd go in and, like, do do sort of, like, a presentation. Like, at at the time, it was hilarious because we just, like, we weren't really it wasn't deployed like there was no real evidence of it yet but it was funny because you could just get up in front of you know a room full of 15 new designers and be like this is the way it works and they're like sure okay i believe you that's (laughs) the way it works and then all of a sudden like you do that enough times and that becomes the way it works yeah um so yeah that was part of how how that that worked um what about at RDO before that
0: uh did you guys have a similar system in place how many designers were there when you were there
2: Um, well, when I started, there were two and then there was just me and then, (laughs) um, we went up from there. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was something that kind of developed a little bit more organically over time because it started with just, you know, I was working on it and we had actually, uh, my friend Ryan Sims who leads the design team now at at RDO. He was actually worked on it in the very beginning just on a freelance basis. Like he came in and helped and like we worked together on some of the initial designs for what shipped as the first version of RDO. So that was just kind of one of those things. Like we kind of brokered that stuff between us. Like there wasn't a style guide or this kind of thing. It was just like we were, we both tend to be kind of systematic in, in our approach. And that like just ended up being like, okay, like we'd borrow patterns from each other and try to stabilize. And one of the first designers that we hired full-time at RDO is a designer named Adam Polselli, who's at Dropbox now, who's an incredible designer and was just a, a hugely lucky hire. Like Anything that I get, might get credit for doing at RDO is probably actually something that he did. And he kind of took that on at a certain point when we were doing kind of a big redesign looking at the whole system and breaking it down on a component basis and saying okay like these three things are inconsistent let's you know stabilize it because we had an opportunity there because we were actually going to go in and touch literally every single the code for every single view on the site and eventually on every single platform so yeah there were a couple passes like that that i think sort of there was an organic process where we kind of developed a more a messier product and then had sort of a stabilizing effort to try to go in and and break it down and systematize it and i think that's familiar for for people who've you know been in smaller teams on ongoing projects It's like at some point it just gets too messy and you got to clean it up hack um, it together and then and you clean up it, and yeah, polish and then clean it up and you know that works too
0: yeah that's what we do at buffer at least right now um yeah. hopefully we
2: can keep pushing on a style guide and- as long as there's somebody who gets uncomfortable when it gets too messy. Like yeah, the, yeah. it's like, there's gotta be somebody like in a relation in a roommate situation. There's got to be somebody who it bothers them when it gets too messy so that they can be the force of change to be like, let's like get it together and like clean it up. There's something to the whole concept of
1: like, if if you're not embarrassed when you first push it, you're not pushing fast enough, but then there's only so much embarrassment you can take and then you really yeah, got to clean, clean it up. <laughs> you got to fix it. Otherwise,
0: you just, you're anymore. just embarrassed. Yeah. Um, we kind of moved away from game design, uh, but I wanted to jump back because last time we were talking, uh, you brought up a really cool subject and it was about how games onboard users. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was fascinating because there's so much discussion going on in, in the web world right now about how, like, how to onboard someone into an app. Uh, could you share a little bit about what you learned about game onboarding and then maybe how some of those lessons can translate to to web design?
2: I wish I could remember what I said that you remembered, That uh, I I can refresh. There's, yeah, remind me.
0: Yeah, so we're talking about incredibly complex games like Hearthstone. You have hundreds of cards. There's an insanely deep level of interaction, like so many cards can interact in different ways. There's different game modes. There's different characters you can play as. So it's this immensely complex game. But the way they onboard you is just, it's quick, but it's one step at a time, and they mm-hmm. like introduce you to one mechanic at a time, and those sort of layer on top of each other. And right. By the end, their goal is not scare you away, but they want you to, like, be at the precipice where you're drawn into more and more complexity, and you you move offline, you learn about the game offline. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, we could we could spend the rest of the time doing a Hearthstone pro tips uh, podcast, but I think there are probably. <laughs> Does everyone have their, their iPads, iPads on them? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a. It's not an accident that I uh, started thinking about designing a, a like card based game after spending hours and hours playing Hearthstone in the beta. But yeah, there there are lots of examples of this. Like we've been strip mining game tutorial design for and inspiration for, you know, UI design for years now. And, you know, there, there are definitely some things that we've borrowed, but again, it's that same thing of the difference between a dynamic presenting and instructing someone about a dynamic variable system versus just onboarding you into a static application and pointing out some things and being like, you know, you should probably click this Um, And here's what happens when you do. I think there's a little bit of like if you borrow the techniques directly from a different kind of system, like games. Like we try to do that in in applications or like tool based applications where I'm here to get a job done. If you sit down to a game, you're here for an experience. It's okay to say like lean back for a second. Like we're going to show you, give you a tour. Every time somebody offers to give me a tour of an app I just opened to get something done, like. No, I'm not it just doesn't fit. Um that's not the mode I'm in. Um so I think there's there's a limit to the extent to which like those lessons and patterns can be borrowed, but I think that is what games have learned to do really well is to make learning how to like progressively learning the dynamics of the system while you're like as part of playing the game. There aren't really tutorials in games anymore. There's just the first few levels of a game. Yeah. Like and that's a lesson that, you know, the game game industry learned like that that was a better experience. My favorite part of most games is the tutorial levels because it's like this very carefully crafted experience of learning of that like endorphin Boost of being like, oh, that's cool! Like I just saw that happen for the first time, and that's like a really neatly compressed period of joy. Like you're not in the grind of a game where you're like, oh, I've been playing this for a hundred hours, and I'm just, I'm almost there. Like I just got to get this thing and like whatever. Like that's fun in its own weird way, but like that pace of just learning something new or seeing something new for the first time paced out in a perfect progression. That's something that games have done really well in teaching you concentric layers of a complex system so that by the time you get to see the whole system all at once, you have the vocabulary to understand it. You're not presented with the whole system and then each piece is pointed out and you're like, I don't know, there's six things here. I don't know how they all fit together. There's a a lot of, tends to be a lot of vocabulary when you're trying to introduce new concepts or something in an app and i don't think it it's necessary i think there's a little bit of a as designers we tend to focus on novelty as a value like something we want to create something new um and i'm not sure that like we estimate the value of that at the same <laughs> level that users estimate the value of novelty i think users appreciate established well, yeah, leveraging things that they know and saying like you know this and we're gonna maybe we're gonna do something cool with it that you know you weren't able to do before but if you understand what these five words mean we're not gonna get all prissy about like <laughs> inventing a new word we're just gonna you know use the word that you know a lot of the concept that
1: teams you know. tend to conflate novelty with creativity they're like mm-hmm. look how creative we are
2: we just confused you as a user (laughs) it's a it's a to be honest i feel like it's an ego thing for designers to feel like
1: look how special i am
2: yeah it's it's only valuable to us or it's most valuable to us to show that we can do something creative and new like that isn't a bullet point you can't put that in a bullet point on a on a tool or an application or even a game and say it's really creative it's like saying you're cool. Like it's, <laughs> it, if you have to say it, like, it's not, it's true. not true. Um, it'll just, you know, it's, it ends up, it's something that's evident. It's a characteristic property of something that you made for another reason. You didn't make it to be creative. You didn't make it to be cool. And I think games have a leg up in that environment because it's like, you're here to do something fun and we're going to make it. Hopefully we've, we've done the job of making something that's fun. So you're, you've bought in more like you're willing to wade through not understanding how something works or you know those kinds of things but even games at this point have to like optimize so heavily because i my attention span is so low like i could there's a hundred other games that i could play you know
1: but most keep it set on established tropes i feel like a lot of that carries over like everyone has for the main part the same controls everyone has a lot of the same character types
2: Right and I think that's great like I'm so excited about games like um I just played recently played Shadow of Mordor I was just like going to bring that one up game. I love that game um you know Lord of the Rings game and uh and looking at the the trailers for it like when people were talking about it coming out it looked really derivative like it looked like oh well there's that looks like Assassin's Creed and that looks like the Batman games that came out and that looks like whatever and then what I realized when I played it was I really liked those games. Like and what they did was they took sort of the best parts, like the best loop or the best mechanic from each of those games, and they put them together, not in a like slapdash, we're just gonna capitalize, rip this off and capitalize in it. They took them and like they understood what was good about them and they put them together in this you know really their own really interesting and ultimately unique system that made it just a really really fun game to play and i really appreciated that as a player like they took something that i liked to do that i already knew how to do um that i felt proficient at and they let me do it in a totally fun new way and they weren't like so precious about like well if we release this and people think that we're you know, too derivative of this other game, then we're not going to get credit for being creative. Well, I give them all the credit for being creative because they put those familiar elements together in a way that felt fresh, that felt novel. And that's, I think, a harder job, but much more satisfying. I guess one
1: of my preconceptions about it was that Every Lord of the Rings game I've ever played was, like, really bad yeah. and pretty driven. Like, I played Two Towers on the GameCube. That was not great. It was like, a wannabe side-scroller
2: thing. It's, like, once they have the IP locked up, it's, like, all right, we don't have to try hard. Like, a certain number of people are going to buy this game anyway just because it's got the <laughs> elves on it and the orcs and whatever. Have like, you guys
1: like, seen the new Spider-Man movie? Like, no, the newest no, one? No. Like, they basically to keep the IP, they have to put out a new right. movie every so often, and they just put out crap movies. Uh, same with the Fantastic Four; were terrible. Yeah, but Lord of the Rings, this they finally got it right, where like they took the good mechanics from other games. Yeah, it was the
2: same thing with the Batman game that they borrowed all the combat from. Was like for years, it was like terrible. Yes, yeah, from terrible like Batman Arkham City games. or whatever. Yeah, and then the 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 first Arkham game that Rocksteady made was like. Like, where did these guys come from? Like, this is great. Like, this is not only the combo string a really style fun and- game, but this feels like this feels like a Batman game, and it's better than you know, you know, any game I played that year. So, yeah, I think the only new thing they really added was like the
1: Sauron's army feature, where like you're always hunting like one person, or, like, right? One orc.
2: Which is a, a great example of a a dynamic system having adding a huge value to like the whole process of that game like that that was a really simple system like what happens is um, all the enemies that you fight like over the, the course of the game um, like, any of the special ones no any of them like oh, any enemy true. that you if, fight if, like, if they if, kill if, you if they kill you or they like get an advantage on you they get promoted and then they eventually can end up being like the big bad boss that you have to like take down in the end um, which creates all these it's just a really it's a really simple system and it's layered on top of everything else, but it creates all of these secondary effects that really positively impact like how invested you are in the game um and then like halfway through the game, they just add one thing to it and flip the whole thing around and it's the exact same system, but now you have to look at it from a different sort of strategic lens. Um, and it gives you like the whole second half of the game, like a completely different like way of investing in the game. That whole thing is like like I'd love to do a design detail style like <laughs> breakdown of the of the mecha- of the tropes and mechanics of that. Brian's game, blushing yeah, right yeah, now. you can do that, Wilson. You can do that.
1: <laughs> no, I think if they would have added a lot of extra mechanics, they wouldn't have been in service of that main one, and it would have all broken down. Like if there was too much to learn, that whole thing would have fallen right. Like what
2: Assassin's Creed has done for the last five yeah. years it's just every game adds 10 new mechanics and 10 new distractions um away from sort of the core loop of the gameplay sorry this has been the video game details podcast that's okay
0: there's design i, I want to yeah this is like i think talking about system design is fascinating and i think everyone's trying to figure that out too is like more and more startups are trying to build their product faster like you said and and then you have big companies that are trying to standardize. So, like systems are universal. It's- but if if
1: these are the things you see in your life and you consider them a lot, I mean, they end up appearing in your design stuff. Like part of what we wanted to do with this was kind of see what leads into like a designer's thinking while they're creating something. Yeah, new.
2: I have this sort of like post-rationalization theory. Like I have a lot, I absorb a lot of guilt about, um just like consuming things versus making them. Like I think we have this sort of maker culture kind of mythology where we elevate like creation and contribution to things and designers have sort of like stood up next to engineers and like physical makers and been like, yeah, we do that too. Like we make things. That's cool. <laughs> I I love making things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I've never really connected with that. Like it doesn't resonate with me and like how I, what how I'm motivated to do what I, what I do because like the only reason I started like making websites or doing designs in the first place was because I loved the stuff that I was consuming and seeing so much that I wanted to be part of it. It wasn't that I wanted to contribute anything or make anything. It's just like, I love the web and I wanted to be, I wanted to crawl inside it and like, it and and do it. Um, and it's the same thing with video game, with games or, books or movies or music or any of those kind of things like i read and like consume that stuff voraciously and my brain just wants to take it apart and like see how all the pieces fit together um and that's why i do my job is so i have an excuse to let my brain do that over and over and over and over again i think actually if you look at the things that i love and like admire and really appreciate it's i'm biased in saying so but i think they tend to be things that come from a higher percentage of appreciating and consuming and absorbing other things that people have made and a much lower percentage of like i have something to say i'm contributing something i'm I'm making something it's more like just gazing and absorbing all, all these things with so much love that you kind of absorb that into yourself and then put that back out um with what you make that is a really goofy um analogy and i don't really know <laughs> that was know so how to cool. when we build articulate it yeah. yeah when we build it's all just an excuse for me to feel better about reading hundreds of comic books and spending hours playing video games but yes like- <laughs> i love that any excuse you need just want to jump in for a minute
1: and thank our second sponsor hover hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names If you've ever registered a domain name anywhere else, you know that some companies make it a really unpleasant experience. They make it complicated to just buy what you really need, they try to upsell you with stuff you don't need on your way to the shopping cart, or they make you pay extra to upgrade for things that should just be included, like Whois Privacy. Hover doesn't believe in heavy-handed upselling. Instead of charging you for something that should just be there, Hover includes everything you need with your domain. You'll get a smart control panel, and Whois Privacy is always free on every domain that supports it. Hover even offers a free valet transfer service that's really awesome. If for some reason you don't already have a domain on Hover, go to Hover.com, use promo code SOVANILLA, S-O-V-A-N-I-L-L-A, one word. They'll know you came from the show, and you'll save 10% off your first purchase. Thanks again one more time to Hover.
0: What are some uh, cool products or or designers out there that are like that you're consuming and are really inspiring you right now. Yeah,
2: I'm trying to think outside of our normal world. Yeah, actually, I mean, the the UI design in Hearthstone is great. Blizzard has always done an amazing job, not just of of doing exactly what I talked, what was just trying to talk about with games. They've never made a game that was just a wholly new, like, invention. Everything that they've ever made has been like, wow, these guys loved X genre of games. It's almost like they simplify whatever they love. Like, they take the thing that they love and they strip out, trip it for parts and lay everything out on the table. And like, what can we build with this that's really cool? Um, and they j- only put back like the essential pieces and like they find some way to just make it uh, to just. Keep what is exciting, like what they love about it, but make it accessible to a much broader audience of people. They almost always make it significantly more accessible than whatever the previous version was. Yeah, and somehow without taking away that, like the essential, you know, thing that 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 loved about it in the first place. You're saying like things don't have to be esoteric and inaccessible in order to be good. It just takes a lot of work to to put the pieces together. So
1: a lot of people put value on I know this thing and you don't, right? And, And it seems like they're focused on. Everyone should know this thing. It's a really great thing.
2: We love it. Let's share it. Like, right. don't have it, a lot of have it be your thing. Have it be everyone from those kinds of people that have all this pride it's so generic. and identity built up in like I know how to do this thing that nobody else knows how to do. Like, I played magic for 15 years, and no one else can, <laughs> can possibly have. I'm a level doing six this. dungeon master. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, this is this is garbage, but it's not. It's 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 fun and it's deep, and it takes a lot of not just work and thought to to do that but i think it does take deconstructing things that exist like it's a very different thing to look at a an established but overgrown category of something and to sort of prune it and understand it and rebuild it in a simpler way it's a lot easier to get something valuable out of that than it is to just look at empty air and say what can i make and so That's why I get excited about everything. That's why why I get excited about consuming and reading and and absorbing things because I just love putting those into the machine of my brain and other people's (laughs) brains. I guess I just like liking things. Yeah. Um. So you asked what designers and yeah um, yeah what other products? Um. I've been reading a lot of comics lately was another thing that i didn't get into as a kid anything in particular well let's uh, how long do we have um uh enough time uh, so one of the the companies that i become really interested in from doing that is uh, image comics and they're in the bay area it's one of those companies that like, if you asked me for really interesting companies in the Bay Area, I'd be like, "Oh well, you know Google and Apple is here and all this stuff, but it's like I would never think of like, "Oh, image comics or Pixar." It's I actually
1: like, didn't know uh, they were here and I read a lot of image yeah, yeah, comics. They're,
2: they're, they're in the East Bay. It's a really interesting story of the company. like it started by this guy. It, the, the, the premise of the company was to create like create a publisher for creator-owned comics, so Spawn was the, the first comic by the, the creator and the Robert Kirkman, who writes The Walking Dead. like He's a VP or something like a uh, co-founder. But the idea was that we'll give the writers or the creators of these comics a way to publish their comics, but still own them um, instead of saying like you're going to write superhero comics for Marvel and Marvel owns all your stuff and you're just here as a tradesman. You're just kind of along for the ride and we'll let you write you know, this arc and then then you're done. And I think the a lot of premises in terms of it's better business and it's better for, for the creators. But also, I think there's this idea that you're going to get something better out of people when they f- are literally invested in it and they have that degree of control and, and feeling of ownership. And I think it took kind of a long time for that to blow up, but they just you know, kept putting things out and kept growing and kept adding, you know, artists and and writers. And this last couple of years, they've just been exploding. Their growth relative to the rest of the comics industry is just, you know, completely out of sync. And they're blowing it up. They've been putting out amazing stories and risky stories. Yeah. And amazing stuff. And the kinds of things where there'll be writers who, like there's writers who all find, you know, some great comic of them realizing they're in the middle of five different series writing five different series through image right now and it's just like i don't want to know what their brain looks like their overloaded brain looks like working on all these projects but obviously like it is so stimulating and rewarding for these writers that they they want to do more of it so yeah i've been reading a ton a ton of image comics i think probably like 80 or 90 percent of the comics that i've read in the last couple years have been published through image have you gotten into like saga Saga's great. Sex Criminals. Sex which Criminals is, like is good. The yeah. worst
1: title but it's a really cool story. Yeah
2: I love Matt Fraction. He's a, he's oh, in one of those his, writers. His run that of that Hawkeye has, like, was so good. Yeah Hawkeye was good.
0: The thing that is cool to me is like I, I immediately expected you to list off like web companies or web designers but you actually think about design, talk about design in terms of corporate culture and, and, and set up like that so uh, it's not a question, it's just amazing that like there the design really is permeating like so deep out of these apps and websites, and it can be how do you set up a relationship with a creator right?
2: yeah, I'm tired of looking at apps right now, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. there's a lot of great work <laughs> and a lot of great stuff out there, but it's one of the it's something that's hard for me personally is that like personally, I'm more of an introvert and kind of an outsider, and it's hard for me. To, when there's a lot of noise around what i'm doing what i know how to do is like ui design and app design and that's what feels like living in san francisco feels like everybody is trying to do that and it kind of makes it harder for me to be excited about it because i'm constantly inundated with the idea of like oh well everybody is doing this what could i possibly have to add on top of it you know if there's a thousand apps being new apps being developed right now. How could one that I'm working on possibly be worth adding to the pile that isn't just going to you know, end up the digital equivalent of Chinese manufactured plastic toys in the landfill in a year. That's never like, that's not any more true now than it ever was, but it's like psychologically it makes it harder for me to stay motivated and stay excited about what I'm doing. So but I want to stay excited. I want to stay motivated. I don't know how to do anything else. So that's when I like really find ways of having my influences and my inputs be completely outside of that. I don't want to sit and stare at dribble all day and like cycle to the app store to get inspiration. Like I gotta be thinking about things that don't have anything to do with.
0: But you still want to work on do you still want to work on apps and websites you just want your inspiration to come
2: from outside or like probably i don't think i'm i it's too late for me to be qualified to do anything (laughs) else so you can learn you're not yeah i mean i think there's uh, yeah there's still value in it it's just a matter of like i don't want to make things that come from a place of not being excited about making them so i have to like manage how excited i am (laughs) you know like be more excited yeah it's hard to it's always hard to stay motivated some of the projects you've taken on though like
1: rdo or this factory things like that i mean they seem like things would be pretty easy to be excited about and to derive more interest from i guess like i mean rdo is a music service i mean that's that's how most people work right it's like
2: music blaring in their ears at least designers yeah i'm just i guess i'm such a miserable worst case scenario thinker that i can make anything feel like anything can be frustrating like your your dream job oh is everything's a real job frustrating and it's all the gonna time. be frustrating and the trick is just not letting that own you like not living in the, the frustration and not not being able to escape it um and like the only ways that i've you know figure out how to do that is to just hijack my brain from outside (laughs) outside influences i give you props
0: for consistency i wrote down this quote that you i think you wrote it says there are no dream jobs there's work that is worth your time and work that isn't you'll never be sure which is which there are only two ways to do the work in front of you the right way or not at all and that was i think last year you wrote that yeah so same idea i'm impressed
2: that sounds right i believe that Copy and paste, man.